Hello, I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm alright, thanks man. How are you? Very well indeed. <laughs> Living life. <laughs> are you a legacy verified account or are you subscribing to Twitter Blue? I'm subscribed to Twitter. Turquoise Blue. Yes and <laughs> get it in. What are you up to? Talking to you. Waiting to do this podcast. <laughs> Quite weak in football. Nothing much to talk about. Oh do you know goodness. what, man? Dude. It's a lot. I need to I need to figure out my pivot to golf. I can't take this anymore. Wild. It's too stressful. Anyway, we hope everyone else is staying safe, staying well. Um never get to check Wright's house this week. Yeah. Carl and I will be joining Ian on Tuesday. I imagine we'll have quite a lot to talk about. Um, mm. also any Arsenal fans out there, I joined Andrew on the Arscast Extras today. I stood in for James. Mm. So if you want to hear me talking about Arsenal for ages and you're an Arsenal fan, go check that out. Congratulations to James, who uh is had a baby. Well, oh, wow. his wife had a baby, which is why he was taking the time off. Many congratulations. Any ad, any other admin? Uh, I think that is it. All right. Well, That's today, it. let's we just get straight into the show because we've got so much to talk There's about so today. Much. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I think what we'll do is we'll start with some key games around Europe quick, and then mm. we'll come back to the Premier League and talk about some of the games and the managerial stuff. Mm. Uh, the Premier League's got no chill. None at all. All right. So let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Should we begin the Bundesliga? We have to. Now, buying for Dortmund 2 in what was... Hyped as a top-of-the-table clash, and it was a top-of-the-table clash. Bit of a sense of familiarity around this result. Strange game. Really strange game. Yeah. Do you want to start? Yeah, so obviously we've, you've heard the headline, the score. The score is not... The score doesn't reveal how one-sided the game became. But mm. the reason this game is so sad is because Dortmund began brilliantly. They began brilliantly. They won a corner in the first minute. 
They were really impressive in the opening stages. Brandt was outstanding. Brandt was absolutely brilliant for the first, what, 12, 15 minutes, even after the first goal. He was brilliant. Only made one mistake in the first 20 minutes, and that led to conceding the corner that got by in their second. Mm. Um, so, like, for those who didn't see the game, long story short, uh, Gregor Kobel, after about 12 minutes, a through ball comes through from a Pamecano. Not, not a bad ball, but not the best ball. And Kobel just comes and swings for it and misses it completely. It's really wild. Ref, it's unlike, like, kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah the kind Kobel, of mistake like, that he can't, ex- he can't explain. Do you know what was really weird about this was that, mm. like you said, Dortmund started really well and to- uh, Thomas Muller actually was, was interviewed afterwards uh, by Archie Rintut on ESPN and he was talking about how, you know, he was like, yeah, Dortmund were really, really strong and like really intense for that first 10 minutes and they looked good. They had a chance with the... Marco Royce, Marius Wolf, great touch. Laid yeah, it off yeah. down the right hand side, and then Delict comes in with a really, really good tackle. But there was a moment just before the goal, and it was when Emre Chan got booked. Yes, and it was this weird thing where, like, watching the game, mm. it was like, oh no. And it sounds a little bit of a weird thing to say in hindsight because it came just before the goal, but it seemed to sap a little bit of the momentum out of Dortmund mm. and almost r- shake them into realizing where they were. Right, right, you know. And I was like, okay, oh no, Emre Chan's on a booking in the middle of midfield for 80 minutes. Yeah. Oh no, oh no, kind of thing. And then yes. the error happens right afterwards. And it was like, it was like they weren't really there for 10 minutes. It was super, super strange. The, the contrast from the 10 or 15 minutes after the goal, the first yes. goal, mm. compared to how they started the game, Astonishing. was so wild. It's like watching a psychological collapse in real time. Yeah, and and Muller actually said as well. He was like, I know. He said I I was talking to them, and they were kind of like there was a difference. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was basically like, yeah, it really affected them. And you could tell, like, you could tell that it was like there's a Dortmund side that's been un- unbeaten for a while in the league. You know, uh, top of the table. A lot of talk about can they do it this year, and it uh, a really really poor track record at, at the Allianz a few quite bruising encounters there. Mm. And it was like, they'd forgotten about that for the opening 10 minutes. And then as soon as that first goal went in, it was just like, that was it. It was so strange. It was literally, it was really, really weird. You're watching them stand two feet off a tackle. They normally have gone in for the first 10 minutes. Yeah. All over the pitch. And it was, it was really bizarre. Like um, the psychological, disintegration like when the ball went in uh, you saw the first person that went over to Cobalt was Chan after the first goal it was the first person the body language was was not good after that goal you would have wanted someone to run and get the ball from the net but the two most impressive people in terms of body language were Terzic and Chan they were still leading it was almost like they weren't directly affected and everyone else was they were getting on with it but then you just saw that lack of confidence just spread through the team to the point where it like you know it gets to 3-0 at half time and of course, Muller sees that and just takes advantage because he thrives in those situations. To the point where by the half-time point, you're like, these aren't even 50-50s because Dortmund aren't coming in with 50% of it. Mm-hmm. It was the most bizarre. And the only thing I think is a, comp- a consolation is that Dortmund can look at the scoreline and be like, well, at least we've got two. Which is yeah, not, it's I mean, not this a, is the thing. Like, the, a, yeah. the damage was done in that first 20, well, to be honest, it was 10 minutes in the first half. The Kobel yeah. error happens after... 13 minutes. Yeah. Muller gets a really scruffy, like back post scuffed. It kind of like came off his thigh, I think. But also like when, when the defense gets caught ball watching for the second ball. Yeah, it ball. was a uh, Julian Brandt actually. Yeah. Um, and, 
And then the third is a rebound. So Kobol makes quite a good save actually, but no one's tracking Muller and Muller just taps in for the third. And that all happened 13, 18, 23 minutes. And that was it. That was it. After half an hour, a load of Bayern fans were olaying. Yeah, wild. Terzic made a couple of changes at half time, brought on Saliostchen for Ryerson, moved Guerrero to left back, which I think just worked better. It did. I, I wasn't I wasn't really I get this Guerrero midfield thing sometimes because he's a very, very good footballer, but I feel like Terzic, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, if he could have that one back, I think he might have changed his selection. I think that's fair. Um I liked some of Haller's positioning, but he was just not decisive. There was a moment he in the second half where he got in really good position. Mm. And I thought typified Dortmund's day. He just didn't strike it with conviction. There was such a lack of, not intensity, but conviction about Dortmund's um, in the late. But yeah. we, we, we saw that. And, and I have to say, seeing Makoko coming on late, it struck me. Maybe there's been fitness issues, whatever. Yeah, but he's coming thought, back from injury. Yeah, because I saw Makoko and I thought that makes sense then because the injury thing. But Same with Adiemi. Adiemi was back on the bench. You and- talk about someone that's not afraid yeah. of an environment like that. It's yeah. Makoko. Yeah, I think if but this yeah. game happens like two or three f- weeks later in April, mm. you maybe see a different starting lineup. And, and do you remember when they played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and we were saying that like they just didn't have the oh players God, for the pace to hit yeah, them on the break? Yeah. I feel like if uh, if this game happens later in April and everyone's back fit, yeah. Terzic starts with a bit more of a pacey mm. front three and yeah. kind of allows Dortmund to absorb a bit more pressure at the back. And then you know maybe even start with a three. It's not something he's done as much recently, yeah. but like Dortmund are capable of playing that system. You know, it's wild though. We, we haven't even discussed it. It was Thomas Tuchel's first match. Yeah. And that's, that says all about, and this, Bayern fans might listen to this and think, oh, why aren't they praising us more? Well, this is the sad thing, I would say, from Dortmund's perspective, is that Bayern didn't have to really beat them. Dortmund no. offered it to them. Like even Tuchel, you can see in Tuchel's celebrations, Tuchel is obviously quite a reserved, mm. he's re- well, he's relatively reserved at certain points in the bench, but he was not celebrating these, these goals like he'd earned them. It was very much like, okay, that's 1-0, that's 2-0, keep it calm, keep it in shape. But Tuchel, I think almost the body language, very aware that we're not doing anything more than just sparring with these people, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, he said after the game that really, really pleased with the, the effort and the intensity, but still stuff that they can improve on. And it's one of those games where like, if you, if you, if you hadn't seen the game and you just look at the score and you look at the stats, you'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. But like, Bayern were 4-0 up and cruising. They didn't really have to do anything. They didn't, no, they didn't really feel like they had to come out of like third or fourth gear. No. Um, you know, Dortmund were pretty decent on XG. They didn't get battered on XG. They had more of the ball, just. So, uh, one of those that you really needed to see how the game kind of swung in real time yeah, yeah. to fully appreciate what played out. As soon as that game was happening, as soon as it went 3-0, you could just go on Twitter and see all of the usual fucking shit. Mm. But I feel like there's a really sting for Terzic because I feel like they were quite close to getting rid of that. Mm. Really, really disappointing for Dortmund fans and for, I say, neutrals who, who wanted to see this title race potentially push on mm. to the end of the season. But I think Tuchel coming in now is a really good thing for Bayern in like the Champions League stuff. But I, I think they might drop points in the league. I think this, this is, it's funny you mention this because I was looking at like, um, this in relation to Premier League, looking at comparing Arsenal's run into cities and going, oh God, like Arsenal's look so much tougher than I thought. Actually, the way this season's played out, the, the giants in different leagues have not had the easy ride we expect. Teams are punching back. And in Dortmund, in, in a, in a, with, with, um, sorry, with a, in the Bundesliga context, 
Bayern, yeah, for Tuchel's, for all of Tuchel's introduction, they still have a, a certain brittleness about them. And the, I think the one thing that Dortmund will be frustrated is they didn't push at that brittleness more. They didn't expose that because Bayern, even with one of the best coaches in the world, have problems. Mm. Um, and it was weird because you heard Bellingham t- came out and talked afterwards about, about this result being, you know, kind of, effectively he said it was just one result. And we've picked up a lot of points on Bayern and there's still a lot of football to be played. I know on, on one level, some might just say he was just saving face. I think that's a very fair analysis, actually. Yeah, I think so. You know, we could look, look, a couple of weeks later, we could be looking at two Bayern draws and two Dortmund victories. And that's kind of what, that's kind of how Dortmund have to look at it. Yeah, that, there's, still, there's still a lot of football to be played. Yeah, they have to bin this and just be like, look, we got done, it's 4-2, this is nothing new, and we have to keep it moving. At the end of the day, they don't have to play Bayern again. They've got, um, they've got Union at home next, which is going to be tricky. Mm, uh, yeah. Union beat Stuttgart on the weekend, 3-0. Mm. Bayern go to Freiburg. Uh, who not drew, an easy game. No, Freiburg drew to Hertha on the weekend, though, which is not a great result for, for Freiburg. Mm. But um, eight games to go, two points behind them. It's not done. No, not at all. So at we'll all. just see. It just depends how quickly Bayern can... <sighs> I don't know, because I feel like Nagelsmann and Tuchel are diff- very different coaches, right? And, if, yeah. and I feel like there will be some, some kind of teething mm. problems at some point towards the end of the season. Um, I don't know, I'll have to see. But... Yeah. Um, should we go to another top of the table clash, which was wild? A nice little preview because these teams are going to play each other a couple more times over the next few weeks. Yeah, and this was a, whew, we talk about statement victories. Napoli got it absolutely handed to them. 4-0 they lost to AC Milan in Naples. Yeah. Do you know what I think actually about this result? If Napoli wake up this morning, they'll be like, why the hell did we let them do that to us? Look, and you can say, look, they were well clear in the league. There was a complacency that settled in. The thing about this game is, and I think what caught Napoli short is, I think Napoli kind of forgot who AC Milan were. And I think mm-hmm. that AC Milan remembered who AC Milan were, specifically Rafael Liao, because he was trying things in this game that were not coming up early in the season. There's an incredible moment before they hit the lead where he does this amazing back heel down the left wing. If you get a chance to watch it, he back heels he the ball down the left wing on the run and there's like almost no margin for error with the technique. It's like a Rui Costa type level of technique. And when he does that, you're like, this man is locked in. It was like watching, you remember like when you watched Zidane at his peak, when in the first three minutes, Zidane would like do a couple of touches and you'd be like, he's going to destroy them. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, this is, Rafael Leal was absolutely locked in, scored two spectacular goals um, and Napi never really looked in it. And they've blown them away. And only in a couple of weeks now, they play them in the Champions League. Mm in Naples again. The problem is this, because they did this to them in Naples, it has shattered their aura at the worst possible time of the season. We always slightly feared with Napoli that their lead in, 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 um, their league in, their lead in Serie A, their huge lead would kind of come back to bite them. And I slightly wonder that it has. I think I said actually that I think it would benefit them in Europe, mm. which I still stick by. Obviously, they were without Victor Ossiman in this game. There was a chance early on that Simeone had. I think it was nil-nil. Mm. And I wonder if just the threat of Ossiman would have given Napoli a little bit more up top. It's not one of those where you'd be like, okay, Ossiman puts that away, but he just gives you so much and he's so informed and he, he, he basically occupies like a, an opposition back, back four like, does, yeah. so much that you just, you can't underestimate the knock on that has for the rest of the team. 
There were a couple of times when Napoli broke forward that they just looked a little bit, I wouldn't say lost, but they just looked a little bit lacking in ideas. Mm. Yeah. They had plenty of the ball and they, they had like a lot of territorial dominance. Uh, the first goal is just really lovely. Mm. Lovely little dink from Liao. Who, who, did you see his slowest ever knee slide? <laughs> it was so weird because he didn't seem like he wasn't sprinting it was like a nice little steady jog but then he did the knee slide and he just kept going I was like you didn't have the momentum to go that far <laughs> do you think he surprised himself by the brilliance of his own so. performance because yeah, yeah, he did yeah. it again in the third, on, the, on his second goal and didn't quite get to go as far as he did on the, on the first but it was just it was really yeah I don't know it was like a you see those blue things, put a load of water on them when you're a kid and you slide down. Yes, them. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know what they're called. What they, I don't know. Cro- well, it's the iconic video of the kid doing the slide and he dabs at the end of it. Yeah, it was basically like that. Yeah. yeah. Bram Diaz got the second. Nice little touch inside, deflected off Kim into the goal. Uh, Kim didn't have a good game. This is actually the most concerning. The most concerning goal, so that the, the, the third goal from Liao is, is stunning, but the most concerning is the Salamakas goal. Oh, because wow. Because he walks... Yeah. He walks through the middle of the defence and the Napoli defenders are screaming at each other. Like, how the hell has this happened? Way too soft. They allowed him to walk through the centre of the defence. And And then he had that run, like, not long after. Where he broke through the middle of midfield and then, like, chops the ball behind him. I was just like, who does Salamakas think he is? This guy waltzing around the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. (laughs) Like the guy the place is named after. They gave him the freedom of Naples. Well, this is, this is the problem. They let, Nap- they let Milan have a party in their backyard. Mm. And anyone that's been watching Milan at all this year, they've seen how they struggled, the inconsistency. Questions about Pioli's job as well, which I thought were harsh, but I understood given the results. I thought they were harsh, but fair questions, if that makes sense. And there was a question about whether he could resurrect them. And now, Napoli allowed Milan to remind themselves who they were. And that's the most dangerous thing they could have done. Because now you look at that tie, the Champions League and think, it's open season at this point. The weaknesses are exposed. They have a formation they love, the 4-2-3-1. It allows Liao to thrive. He's been, not dormant this year, but he's not been to the previous level. Um, the same, well, how could most match the level of the last campaign? And now that tie is looking frighteningly even. And Napoli got to be really angry at themselves because they gave Milan a look they didn't really have to give them. But yeah, outstanding for Milan. And uh, that eases the pressure on my man in the roll neck, Stefano, and uh, sets up a very exciting, very exciting clash in the Champions League. I mean, with Inter seemingly unable to buy a win at the moment, mm. uh, they lost at home to Fiorentina. Milan are now in third, which not too long ago seemed, frankly, quite wild. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Juve got another win, three on the bounce now, four of the last five. They beat Hellas Verona 1-0. They're only six points off the Champions League. Gosh, Nine games left. Can you imagine if Juve get in the Champions League? Absolutely possible. Why? Considering their season, I know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is kind of amazing. All right, let's go to France quickly. Yes. We're going to swerve La Liga this week. Yeah. Although, uh, shout out to Karim Benzema's rapid hat trick. Yes, making up for lost time. Yeah. And um, it was apparently the third fastest in Real Madrid history, according to Marca. Pahinho against. Nastic in 1950, four minutes. And get this, Fernando Hierro against Espanyol oh my in God. 1992 with six <laughs> minutes. Um, but yeah, let's go to France because PSG lost at home to Lyon 1-0. Uh, 
Messi was booed. Which is slightly harsh because Messi... Messi actually played really well. I, Messi, I think it has Messi, to do with his Messi, future, right, though? Messi put in um, Mbappe for a, a chance that Mbappe scores what, yes. the bulk of the time. What, after like seven minutes half. or something? This game really actually... On. Look this at the scoreline. The scoreline's actually... It doesn't actually fully reveal the chaos of this fixture. Oh my God. There, there, was, there was like... The pe- chaotic penalty. Like one, <laughs> of the most, one of the most chaotic like 30 seconds of football I think I've ever seen. <laughs> so like... It was, I mean, because Mendes could have put Leon ahead not long after the Mbappe thing. Mm. And then there's this thing where Barcola comes on uh, and he's... Uh, through on goal. Through on goal, gets put through. Was it by Lacazette? I'm not sure if it was by Lacazette. I don't know, but, but Lacazette's there. Yeah, yeah, Lacazette's And he next. kind of like, it looks like his shin pad comes out or something. And then... He basically falls over eight yards from goal. Yeah, one on in one. a one-on-one. With Donnarumma. Yeah. He falls but, over... The ball kind of spins past. Donnarumma like flaps it and then Lacazette appears out of nowhere. Donnarumma like takes out Lacazette and it's a penalty. And then Lacazette takes one of the weirdest looking penalties, hits the post. Stop motion, stop motion, run up. Like, yeah, hits the post. Yeah. It's like, what the and hell? And it's his is first miss up? since 2017. What have I just seen? You've seen everything. That's what you've seen. <laughs> just bizarre passage of play. <laughs> you know those moments when a coach looks on the side of a pitch and is like, I, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't in the job description. We always talk about the Sid Lowe comment when Carlos Bianchi's at Atletico Madrid and it's just going wrong. <laughs> and he's like, what is happening here? Everything repeats itself. I feel like that was the same moment. Like for coaches just looking at that going, this, we have no control over this. Mm. What was happening in that game? Well, I have no idea what's happening. The game took care of itself. Um, so that was, it was still nil-nil at that point. It was still nil-nil. And Leon had been impressive and, Bacola got the winner late on in the second half. But the weird thing about this, I think, as well, was that we've seen this a few times in PSG. We've seen Ren beating them. Uh, but they're still afloat in the league. They're still six points clear. This That's about defeats, though. True, true. But it's still a bit frustrating because it's just the sheer weight of resources. It's the only thing. They just have so much quality that gets them out of jail, which is a shame because they had a bit less. Mm. You know, Liga doesn't get quite the shine it deserves because there's some really exciting teams and players in that league. But the financial might, and I know it gets boring people to listen to this, the financial might of PSG does destroy the spectacle because there's the knowledge they can always get out of jail. Like there's some outstandingly coached teams further down the pyramid in Liga that just won't get the shine they do. They deserve because of PSG's financial might. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a bit frustrating from that perspective because Leon yeah. really good. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it, it is, yeah. I mean, they've lost more games than, than Lons have this season. Yeah, yeah. PSG. They've lost five in the league, which, I mean, I don't think Galtier will be there next season. Um, it's not a good just, fit, it, it? just feels like, I mean, we'll talk about Chelsea a little bit later and kind of like what they are anymore. It's not a good fit, the Galtier thing. We didn't like it at the time. I wonder if they go for someone like Zidane at some point. Yeah, maybe. Here's the thing I would say. The personality it takes to be dominant in that dressing room and with that infrastructure, I almost think you need with PSG someone that goes in there and kind of almost intimidates that executive board because otherwise you get swallowed up by it. Look, Poch got swallowed up by it. Gaute got swallowed by it. It's just, it's a hornet's nest, Ryan, you know? I mean, um, yeah, very, yeah. very tricky environment to manage. But look, but look how they all lose their shine. Look at like Poch. Poch really lost some luster doing that job. Yeah, I think Poch's stock has massively fallen. It did. Not, it, think, yeah. but, but weirdly, it's weird though, because like, I feel like that was more of a, we said this a few times about Poch, about how the, ne- the next job was really key for him. Mm. 
I think he knows that. Look how long he's been out of work. He knows know, that. Which is weird, right? It is and it isn't because nothing's come up that's right. Yeah. Like PSG must, we underestimate just how badly that experience might have affected him in terms of, mm. he went from Spurs, didn't get enough investment. He went to PSG, didn't have the right players at all, the style of football he wanted to play. Even being pragmatic, that was not a job that suited him. Mm. Um, so maybe we underestimated just how much time he needed and how much the right project had to work. Plus he got two huge payouts back to back. I'm pretty sure those are like, you know, he doesn't oh, have to work for a while. Yeah, dude's working on his concept album. <laughs> <laughs> Probably already dropped it under an alias. <laughs> Probably already dropped it. Potch's deep spiritual ambient album. <laughs> he doesn't need work. He doesn't need Does- to... He needs to fuck with the fucking vibes, man. Like <laughs> football management's fucking with my vibes. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. But anyway, great win for Leon. Yes. Um, not a great mm, PSG. Not in a great. Not in a great moment. They are not. They are not. I don't think we've seen the end of the potential drama there this season. I don't think we have either. Uh, anything else you want to touch on around here quick or should we, should we take a break? I think we'll really go straight to Premier League. There's lots All going right, on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go to the Premier League, can I just shout out Katie, McC- Katie McCabe? Because a few days ago, the great Owen McDevitt on second captains was worrying a little bit about whether she would even make the World Cup by the looks of it after she left the Bayern game on crutches in a moon boot. Uh, she didn't only play against Man City, she scored the winner. An absolute banger it was too. To cap off an unbelievable week for Arsenal. Look at that run of games. North London derby, 5-1 away, 2-0 Bayern at home in the Champions League to go through. 2-1 Man City, who were above them in the table, they're now above them on goal difference. Chelsea winning, so it means uh, they're a point behind Manchester United with a gaming in hand. Arsenal, three points behind Manchester United with a game in hand. Um, a pretty unbelievable week for Arsenal. They still have to play Manchester United, remember? Mm. Uh, and they still have to play Chelsea. So the WSL League title is well up for grabs. It is, really is. But yeah, impressive. Chelsea, impressive as well. 3-0 over Villa. Sam Kurt doing the typical scoring the most difficult one. <laughs> although, although, actually, I will say for Kurt, the decisiveness of her finishing has just, it just went, there, there was, I mean, I think maybe we slightly overstated that blip she had in the first few months in England, but thereafter has just been in assassin mode. And, you know, it's funny because Chelsea, if Chelsea end up with the Champions League and WSL double after all of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm still a little bit like, how did they get awarded a penalty the other day in the Champions League? Because that uh, I, know, I, know, I know, I know, I know. It was wild. It was, oh my God. Make sure you go and check Counterpressed with Flo and all the gang for all the WSL stuff. Let's talk about the Premier League. Um, let's shout out a couple of quick results before we talk about the managerial stuff. Because, well, first of all, Villa, which kind of leads into the, the, the so maybe we should save Villa because I think it's a nice segue. But yeah, I kind of wanted to shout them out at top, but let's save it. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle beat Manchester United. Great result from Newcastle. Mm, yes. And it's made that race for top four very, very tasty. They were really good against United. They really, really were, good. huh? Yeah, yeah. United are in a bit of, hmm, put it this way, 
I wouldn't say they're in a funk, but they're kind of in a funk. It's a skid. A skid. It's definitely a skid. Is it a skid or a funk? A bit both. Well, it's kind of like Raphael Liao's knee slide, but not as yes. celebratory. <laughs> well, it's interesting how Luke Shaw came out and said there'd been a meeting, a player meeting after the defeat to talk about intensity and a lack of it. And look, this is, we've said this, this is a United team that's very much in transition, right? Like, there's been a lot, there's been, I think they're ahead of schedule in terms of their rebuild, just in relation to the specific year. But they do rely, I think, still overly on Rashford. Other parts of the attack haven't fired to the same extent. You look at like an Arsenal, for example, where you have multiple people capable of deciding the, the game. Or City, where we'll get to City in a moment, where you have a player like Gundogan, who you almost forget about, like he's quietly brilliant. Every now and again, he pops up with one or two goals, and you're like, oh my God. Like, he was amazing on the weekend. You're like, like, Man City have one of the best, like, number eights in the world, but he goes under the radar still, mm. even now. I think United's problem is they don't really have that variety of attacker who's consistently dangerous, like the teams above them in the league are. But yeah, anyway, that's a longer conversation for another time. Pulling back to, my, to Newcastle United, though, because they, <laughs> their expected goals was 3.68 to Manchester United's 0.43. Wow. 22 shots to Manchester United, six. Four big chances. As good as they've been all season, which is saying I, something. Do you know what? I th- I, considering they were without Almiron as well, I feel like this is one of the most impressive performances I've seen from Newcastle this year. Mm. I thought Sean Longstaff was unbelievable. And actually, he's in a shout for, for Mino's law this season. So underrated. I feel like rated. Newcastle fans really, um, obviously they know, I feel outside of like the Newcastle fandom coverage, I feel like he's someone who goes massively under the radar, especially with what's been going on at Newcastle and like Bruno. With the arrival of new players. Yeah, exactly. Like Joe Willock playing really well. Obviously, Alexander Izak scoring or getting involved in the goals again. And he's just kind of there. Do you know, this is actually, I'm not comparing him to Frank Lampard, but do you remember when Lampard was there, like Chelsea, and they would just kept bringing all these new midfielders? Mm. And Lampard just kept seeing them off one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Thor fighting on that bridge, just like yeah. <laughs> one, one off the other. And, and he was just, Longstaff just kept pushing them away. I think they brought in Veron one point and this and that. And Lampard, you're like, okay, this has got to be, Lampard's got to get pushed out. For Chelsea, so, not yeah, Newcastle. For, Can you imagine if Newcastle just brought in Juan Sebastian Veron now? Oh my God. Actually, this is, and this is the question for Newcastle. And this is the, I was having a chat with a mate over the weekend about this. Um, when they make the signing, the really big signing. Yeah. Because that's the thing, isn't it? That's the leap that... Dude, if they get into the Champions League this year... It changes everything. It and really also, does. also as well, I have to say this, um, because we can never discuss Newcastle without discussing the wider context. There's, I think, a question about how a lot of coaches have stayed away from that job because it was toxic at the time. And that, job, that job's going to become less toxic over time uh, in terms yeah. of the associations with it. And then Eddie Howe, there's going to be conversation for Newcastle about Eddie Howe, not because he's not coached them really well, but I wonder if anyone on the Newcastle board gets a bit twitchy for a quote, glamour coach coming in. And that's a tension that could exist in the next two, three years. Because in terms of the job that Howe is doing in terms of coaching, you should actually keep it as it is. There's no argument for moving him any time in the next, like, no. well, not for the you foreseeable. Take him into the Champions League after one year. I know they've had loads of, spent loads of money already. But, but still, still, like. But still, yeah. Even with the money added, the job he's done. The two has, things are going to be true. He's coached yeah. them really well. They've also spent a load of money. Yeah. Um, 
So Newcastle are in pole position to finish fourth. Um, Manchester United are not nailed on for top four. Not at all. Not at Spurs all. only a point behind with a game in hand. Uh, Brighton seven points behind with a game in hand. And um, probably I mean, great, great game that with three all against Brentford. Yeah, holy shit! This was probably my favorite game of the weekend. Dubbed cruelly by some as the hipster derby. Dubbed by me as the hipster derby. <laughs> if if we're talking about two sides in the top half of the Premier League as being hipster, we're all doomed. Yes, we absolutely are. Um, you know I mean, great game. This great game. Um, Ivan Tony. Uh, showing up again. McAllister just having a stellar year. Matoma doing what Matoma does. Great finish. And Danny <laughs> Welbeck. Know, the funny thing about Matoma's goal is that people scream, if anyone else had done that but Brighton, they'd be calling it long ball. <laughs> and it was long ball. But oh, because, yeah. it's, because it's Brighton, we're going to call it, oh, look at that wonderful play out from the back and finish. <laughs> Send it. Can you imagine if like aliens, imagine if aliens visited Earth to be like, oh my God, what's this fabled Deserby ball? And the first thing they see is that. <laughs> Got Deserbied. Amazing game this. It was. Great game. Uh, Bournemouth being full and 2-1 was a great win for Bournemouth. Yeah. Amazing win for them. Um, some, some amazing wins down the bottom of the table, actually, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Palace with, what, was it the most shots of all time or something? <laughs> 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 something bizarre on uh, Roy Hodgson's return. Mm. Uh, last minute winner over Leicester. He which, so, he was having such a good time, Roy Hodgson. I know. It's really enjoyable. I miss this. He was loving it. Was loving uh, it. That win cost Brendan Rodgers' job. We'll talk about that in a little minute. Uh, Forest and Wolves drawing one all. Uh... We'll talk about Chelsea Villa in a little bit. Man City beating Liverpool 4-1. I feel like we have to be quick on this because we don't really have much time because yeah. we've got to talk about them. But um, City without Holland and without Foden, who's, uh, who had to take time out because he had to have his appendix out. But they have Julian Alvarez, who, you know, Julian no Alvarez clown. who won the, won the World Cup. And starred in the World Cup. Yeah, he was brilliant. Not a bad replacement for City. This, you could tell that this was like a, a game that you, people expected them maybe to drop points in. Like the reaction to each okay. goal was yeah, a bit yeah. like, fuck you, yeah, fuck you, fuck and you. And shout to John Stones, brilliant in midfield, really impressive in the double pivot alongside um, Rodri. Like somewhere there was an Everton blogger who was just like, finally. Yes, we've seen it. In the <laughs> <laughs> uh, really impressive, but you know, the, the plaudits will have to go to Gundogan and Grealish for this. Grealish just, Grealish was great. Grealish tore them apart. The way he combines with De Bruyne. You know, when you look at those three playmakers, De Bruyne, Grealish, Gundogan, mm. they talk about embarrassment of riches. They had, then you've got Bernardo Silva off, you know, out of the action and Foden out of the action. City's playmakers, when they get into, I think uh, Sir Alex Ferguson against Barcelona described it as a passing carousel. When City put on the passing carousel, yeah. you cannot live with them. No. And we've talked about Liverpool's resurgence, obviously the 7-0 win over United, but games like this really remind you of the rebuild that Liverpool are in the process of. Mm. And it's easy to look at Man City 4, Liverpool 1 and be like, oh, Liverpool got done. Well, well, no, it's Liverpool aren't that Liverpool, right? They're not in that place where this result is the wildest surprise. Yeah, City were just too good. They were. Like, way yeah. too good. Yeah. Pep's catfished us again. Pep's yeah, catfished maybe. us because he's playing a 3-2-4-1, right? With no real width from the fullback areas. He's basically got width high up the field. No one's done, again, like Pep does one thing every year which tactically no one's done before. Someone said to you, oh, by the way, we're going to play with a three at the back and no real width from the back. Like, no, 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 you're not going to do that. And then Pep does it and it works and it's amazing. And no one questions it. It's an, just another innovation that's going to be in the Premier League long after Pep's departed. Yeah. We're going to play with a you know, back three and no width. I mean, who does that? 
What do you think about the uh, the shot for the Rodri red card? Because he got booked and then got basically did the same thing a couple of minutes later and didn't get booked. But I feel like it was made clear that the booking was for an accumulation, not just for... Which is weird because I always thought tactical fouling at that point was like a yellow... Well, maybe an elite footballer at City acquires a level of invisibility and that, that cloak has been handed from Fernandinho to, uh, to Rodri. It's surprising because <laughs> Rodri's been doing a lot of talking about how, yes. how he doesn't like other people playing and then, <laughs> listen. No, I think he got, I think he got lucky. I don't think there's any more than that. Just got a bit Although lucky. to be fair, Klopp afterwards, I think he said something like, uh, I don't think we would have beaten 10 men anyway. I think, that's, I think that's fair. Also, City don't forget, just too good. didn't City go to 10 men against them? What was the team the other day, the other day they went to 10 men against? A few, actually a few months back. And they looked mind-blowing. They went yeah. down to 10 men and looked even better. Because Pep, Pep was like, oh, all we have to do is just close the spaces between players. And I've always like, wanted to win the league just with one player less. Oh, fuck off, Pep. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> Can you imagine if Pep, Pep's like, my grind mentality means that I start games without, without a man. Yeah, he's going to do a Jake Humphrey LinkedIn post. <laughs> I get up at five because it's like playing with 10 men all day. I was like, no, shut no, I, it doesn't have to be this way. Pep. It doesn't, not so hard. Why just, are you doing God, this? Just fucking just play football. Stop it. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Uh, what do you think about his weird celebration? I haven't seen what Richard Keyes has said yet, but I imagine, uh, I imagine Richard Keyes is going after him. So strange. Yeah, celebrating a player's faces. Sometimes Pep does shit. And I'm just like, Pep, what are you doing? He gets away with a lot. He gets away with a lot, Pep, without question. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> Arsenal responded quite well, beating Leeds 4-1. Uh, I really that, well. Yeah, really, really well. If Gabriel like, Jesus, wow. Arsenal fans, if you want to listen to a long, long chat about this, go and listen mm. to the Arscast Extra, where I joined mm. Andrew. It was fun. Rich, do you know what my favourite bit of this game was? When ben Benjamin White's White scored. <laughs> no, no, no. When everyone was doing the head slap, because he slaps everyone's head when they score, right? And everyone mm. was like, our time. <laughs> and at one point I was just like guys you gotta knock him can out you stop hitting him so hard this is actually like getting a bit you know repetitive like blows to the head and then Zinchenko comes in and just like kicks it <laughs> <laughs> and then afterwards he's just like oh, I don't really watch all amazing he really enjoys that bit doesn't he he really enjoys I that I love Benjamin White I love him he's amazing he's absolutely amazing so so good um, yeah Arsenal very, very good in this game. Took a little bit of while to get going, but that's mm. fine. Yeah. Liverpool away next week. Mm. Right. Quick shout for West Ham. We beat Southampton uh, on a VAR goal that took about four minutes to be allowed. Good header that. Yeah. But it was a good header and they, I think they deserve the win, to be honest. Um, and that kind of rocketed them up to like 14th. It's weird. The bottom of the league is so wild. But we mentioned Chelsea losing to Villa. Villa were brilliant. They were. However, I feel like their brilliance was capitalising on the moments that they got. Chelsea had so much of the ball mm. and they had like a really good XG total and they'd accumulated like quite a, they, they had like quite a few big chances, but they never felt like, I don't know, it never felt like Villa were like lucky. Or- no, because they weren't, because Villa, were, Villa are moving. What, they've won four of the last five in the Premier League. Villa are moving. And they don't, they hate it when we talk about it. Because they're like, oh no, leave us alone. We're quietly advancing. Well, no, we're not going to be quiet. Emery's doing a wonderful job there. Mm. They're in ninth place. Goal difference is minus two. So they've shored that up. They've shored up the kind of defensive issues. And they're playing some really, really nice football. And they're going to, unfortunately, this performance will get overshadowed by what came after. Yeah, do you know what though? I think Villa fans will secretly love that. They they like that. Yeah, they like that. Villa are like, 
We're in nights, but everyone just carry on talking about Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've overtaken for the man Chelsea now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know when like a parent comes in the room and you're on the phone or something, and you're like, oh my God, like, this is really awkward, get out. And they're just like, I'm not here, I'm not here. I'm not here, just carry on, carry on. That's what Villa fans are like, we're not here, just carry on. Exactly, that's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. Um, but yeah, Villa, Villa, excellent. And McGinn just leading Oh my God, that goal was so good. Listen. That man's in his bag. Yeah. McGinn's really in his bag for club and country at the moment. I love this footballer so much. I reckon he's one of those players who opposing players around the league, you know, like you have in the NBA, for example, and so-and-so goes, oh, who's the toughest player to guard or whatever. And they'll name someone you're like, oh, like that's the first name on your lips. I reckon McGinn's one of those players that opposing midfielders are like, no, that's the guy. Mm. Like, that's the player they've got plans for. He's just a, just a brilliant footballer. Um, and really happy that that goal, he strikes with a bit of fade. Almost like the Chomani strike against um, England, where they hit oh. it and it just keeps moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to bring that up. But yeah, McGinn with a great strike to seal the win. Mm. And the win leading to the sacking of Graham Potter, of Graham Potter which we mm. have to talk about now. I mean, on point. the same day that Brendan Rodgers got fired as well as mm. Leicester manager yeah. after the Palace defeat. Now, the two main, the, the, well, the main takeaway from this is that two Premier League clubs have fired their manager one game after the final international break of the season. Why? Mm. If they were one game away from being fired, yeah. there was something I saw, uh, it was Keir Doyle on Twitter said, um, going to guess that Chelsea had a clause about sacking Potter if he dropped out of the top half of the table because today is the first time they've dropped that low. Uh, and this is taken from the thing that Matt Law wrote where they said um, Chelsea don't have to pay up the full value of Potter's contract. Oh, there was a thing about a severance package agreed. Yeah. That was not... Um, Wasn't his full contract. Not on right? his full contract. Yeah. It was interesting. To be honest, that's horrible if that's the case. That's horrible. Like, I think you pay out. I mean, they obviously negotiated that smartly, but if that was a clause they'd negotiated, really, how can you work under those conditions? Mm. And if you think... and I'm going to be very critical here of the Chelsea... Um, well, before, the Chelsea before we get on to yeah. Chelsea, can we just can we talk about Rogers quick? Because Rogers, I think, you want to start like, with Rogers, okay. yeah? Because I just feel like because I feel like with Brendan Rogers, it kind of feels like the end of a cycle for Leicester. Anyway, this season has been a real struggle. That's a totally different sacking as well. Rogers. It's a totally different sacking, like, and he won an FA Cup there. I feel mm. like this season, yeah, but that's over four years though. Yeah, a couple of times they they failed to get over the line into the Champions League, but the lack of investment that he's had over the last however long. I've got a hot take for you though. He gets accused of not overstaying his welcome. He gets accused of not overstaying his welcome. And the first time in his career, he's overstayed it. It's yeah. the first time he's overstayed. If you think about it, oh, Rogers always jumps early. Well, you're seeing now why managers jump early. Mm. He didn't start this season well. Um, well, they had one point from the first seven games. Horrible start. Yeah, they had a really bad fight. It was terrible. And like, Rogers often gets criticised for like having an eye on the next move. And I wonder if he looks back and goes, oh man, I wish I'd bounced earlier or I wish they'd made me bounce. And this is the thing, the Leicester ownership, the Leicester board really backed him. Mm. And the frustration they might have now is they might be thinking, and Leicester fans might be thinking, maybe they'll write to us about this, just like, we were too patient. We paid the price for actually doing kind of the right thing. And you could argue, I, you know, Chelsea too impatient with Potter and Leicester too patient with Rodgers. That's a very reductive way to look at it. Mm. But Chelsea put, how do I say this? Chelsea put, Rogers, it, Chelsea put um, Potter in an untenable position almost from the very start. And Leicester had Rogers in a very tenable position. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I mean, we, we put a thing out before this show asking for questions and obviously yeah. there were just loads about the managerial stuff. Yeah. So basically, just to give you a, a couple, like Leftover yeah. Kick says, is it really as simple for Chelsea as the juxtaposition between Potter's, quote, the boys gave everything, there were some positives in a loss and Tuckle's quote, there was room for improvement after a win that became too great to ignore. Rory Saliger, who I think is a Chelsea fan, mm. uh, said, is the Chelsea situation one of the quickest falls we've seen from winning the Champions League two years ago to bottom half of the Premier League now? I mean, especially with all of the, the money that they've spent. It is kind of wild. I think a lot of it is self-inflicted, obviously. I mean, put it this way. Let's, I mean, Leicester, their priority is to stay up. I think Rodgers will get another job fine. Mm. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did those managerial sorts and we said Moyes to Leicester, yeah. uh, Rodgers to West Ham, which actually looks pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad, actually. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. But I think he, overall, once the dust settles, I feel like you could look back on his time at Leicester and say it's a positive. Yes, it is. It is. It is, I think. Overall, yeah. For Chelsea, I mean, hindsight's great in football. We know this. But looking back now, why would you possibly have got rid of Thomas Tuchel then? Vanity. Sometimes the answer is simple, Ryan. It's vanity. Sometimes the answer is simple. That, the stock of that club, it's not the biggest fall from Grace because it, their stock was artificially high. Thomas Tuchel coached them so brilliantly with an uneven squad that they won the Champions League, which frankly they had no right of winning. It's because he's a brilliant coach and he got the very best out of those players. The very best out of them. Like, and that's not because they're bad football, it's because the blend of the squad was bad. Mm. And you sack one of the best coaches in world football after he's done that with an uneven squad. It's ridiculous. It's vanity. It's wanting to come in and make your own thing. Make your own stamp. I do think it's that. Like, what else can it be? What else can it be? You want to put your own authority in a dressing room and show that you can do things differently. And you, you sign these players, these big contracts and all the rest of it. And, and you make out you're doing something innovative. You're actually not. You're actually not doing anything new or innovative. You're coming into a club and putting loads of money in and disrupting the Premier League's, quote, natural order, the big signings. That's not new. Why? Because Roman Abramovich did it. And there's absolutely nothing new about sacking a manager when you don't deserve a sacking. That's not new. Why? Because Roman Abramovich did it. And there's nothing new about sacking another manager, not giving enough time. Why? That's not new. Because Roman Abramovich did it. What Todd Bowley has done is not remotely innovative. And that is the most damning indictment of what he's done so far at Chelsea. There is nothing new about any of this. Nothing. He's just superheated what was there before. There's nothing new about it because the whole point of this was we're bringing in uh, a new style, longer contracts, more this, more that. Mudrick has been brought in and that signing looks more and more irresponsible with every passing week because the pressure on that player, because here's the thing, when it first came in, it was like, oh my God, lots of money, lots of sympathy. But as time goes on, people lose sympathy and they're like, you're there and I have to perform. And he is not looking like a hundred million pound player. And you cannot tell us that there's not weighing on him in terms of pressure. We saw how the transfer fee weighed on Pogba. Paul mm -hmm. Pogba had four Serie A titles with him and a Champions League final appearance before he moved to United for that money. Mudrick had a few dozen games as a professional. It's such an irresponsible signing. And I know we talk about this maybe a lot, but I just think psychologically what that's doing to him is really, really unfair. And actually, I think, you know, I'm, I'm being really critical of the Chelsea board in this particular situation because you are putting unfair expectations and pressure on players and staff, and they cannot work effectively under those conditions. It's just not, it's not fair. And whoever they bring in next, however they do it, 
step back and actually have some patience. And I'm, I'm a bit, I don't normally go like this off on this, but it's like, it's, it's irresponsible, Ryan. This is interesting. I, I feel like the, um, the impact that Chelsea has had on the wider European football I don't know, fabric mm. this season has been quite like, quite un- unlike many others. I wonder what's next for Chelsea, really? Well, because it's like, what are we doing? Because the whole point with Potter was, yes, we got rid of Tuchel, but there's a long-term plan. There's a long-term plan for, for, Tuchel to bet, for Potter to bed in with these players and we bought them a long-term contract and we'd be patient and like, let him work his magic. And that's, that's not happened. Well, this is the thing that I don't really understand from Bowley's point of view, is that like, if you're going to go long-term, then what is the actual point of firing Graham Potter now? Right. Like genuinely, because yeah. they're not going to qualify for Europe, or definitely not for the Champions League at least. It's all about just getting to the end of the season and regrouping in the summer, having a full preseason under Potter. If the culture wasn't there and the culture hasn't been right from the start, like there's been a lot of, you know, briefing and reporting coming out that the players didn't really, I don't know, I think the players liked him, but they didn't really have that kind of admiration or respect for him yeah. in the sense that like maybe they did with like someone like Tuchel who'd won the Champions League. Mm. But if you're as smart as you keep telling everyone that you are, then why didn't you know this? Right, exactly. Can you imagine the amount of assurances that like a Luis Enrico would ask for from Chelsea? Can you imagine? Well, I mean, we literally had a question from Luro who said, who in their right mind would take the Chelsea job right now? I know someone who would. <laughs> yes, actually, we both do. Yeah, we both do. Get Brodge in the big seat, finally. <laughs> Brendan Rogers time. <laughs> it has to be a Nuzrika type profile player. It has to be that kind of manager. Sorry. Actually, if I was Nagelsmann, I don't think I'd go. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Actually. Well, n- none of the names, none of those big names really should take it until there are changes at executive level in terms yeah, of how... What, what executive level changes are there going to be? There doesn't seem to be a plan there. So I feel like for Chelsea, it's like, I would have, I, I feel like sacking, I, I understand why Potter has been fired in a sense because they're kind of like, okay, this, we need to stop the rut. Like we're losing at home to Villa. There's just a, a malaise around the place now. But it was right? obvious where the malaise came from. This is, the, this is the reason I'm not sympathetic. And this is my criticism of Chelsea is severe on this podcast today but it's not of Chelsea as a club. As it, it's of the specific decisions made by the executives. I actually have a lot of sympathy with the players. I have a lot of sympathy with the coaching staff. This is an executive problem. You know, it's a bit like when people go, oh, climate change isn't man-made. No, this is man-made climate change at Chelsea. It's absolutely man-made. Like, even just looking at Chelsea from the perspective of the football club alone, forget what it does to other people and what they can afford in the transfer market. Forget what it says about the Modric signing. Specific to Chelsea, the way they conducted transfer business, the way they conducted, um, you know, putting pressure on Potter, bring, bring in these massive signings, saying and trying to take pressure off. When in the history of football has a huge signing like the Fernandes one ever taken pressure off a manager? When has that happened? In returns, of, in returns of people not expecting results more quickly. It doesn't happen yeah, in not. football. Yeah. The moment Potter got those upgrades, people were going, okay, that means you have to now contend for the Champions League. Instantly because he brought in Mudrick and Fernandes. And Mudrick at that point, it's easy to forget that, but he was absolutely flying against elite teams in the Champions League. And now he looks really worried, concerned when he gets a one-on-one. That's not on him. That's about the psychological toll of, of that money. And the worst thing is he's bought without a plan. 
Jack Grealish was bought for 100 million, but at least Pep had a long-term plan for him. I can't tell you what the long-term plan is for, for Madrid because I don't think there was one other than Arsenal want him, let's grab him. Like, so it's, and, I, and I know I'm going off on one, but we have to talk about executives because sometimes at clubs like Chelsea, the board don't get enough specific criticism and they have to. Like it's, it's a really bad look. You bring in Potter to fix things long-term and then you fling him out and humiliate a coach who's brought Brighton up. Like, you look at the pathway that he went on. That man built his stock so carefully, takes the Chelsea job, and some might say against his better judgment, but frankly, when does a job like that come up ever? You take it, you back himself, and then you don't give him the... Imagine if they bounced off... Imagine if Milan had bounced Pioli out when everyone was talking about Rangnick. And I'm not saying Potter would have become Pioli, right? But we'll never know because he wasn't given the damn chance. I know it's really easy to say this now, but do you know what? If Chelsea had bought Leandro Trossard for however much Arsenal paid for him in January instead of Mudrick. Both teams would be happier. Maybe hadn't got Jao Felix on loan, even though he's been good. Mm. And actually just been like, no, we're going to take our time. This season's, we're just going to write the season off. If all of the comms have been like, listen, this season's just, we're going to write the season off. Mm. And I know that some people might be like, yeah, but it's Chelsea, you can't do that. But they kind of historically always have. They've, they've, they've dropped out of the Champions League before. Mm. They're a strange club in the sense they've been super successful, but they have had a, like erratic seasons as well. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. The thing that really annoys me about this is that you essentially had like a free hit as an owner. Yes. You can come in and be like, right, culture change. We have a fucking unbelievable youth setup at Chelsea. It's amazing. We're going to really promote that. We're going to change. We're going to become efficient. We're going to bring in some of these players, uh, some of the staff and people from Brighton and we're going to like really streamline and we're going to do this, that and the other. And you write off the first season and you start talking about process, 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 process. We've had real success here at Chelsea over the years. We may not get there for a couple of years, but we're going to shift tack and we're going to do it organically a way that people can really get on board with for the journey. And I think they almost had, I think for the first, like the, the initial arrival of Bodie, I think there was that optimism. I think actually he did benefit from that. Let's, let's see what we can do here. I, I do think he, people reserved a bit of judgment, but I think over time, like for me, the reason I'm critical is just because the Potter thing just makes out, well, what was that all about anyway? Just how, how it's seriously, just, it's, how all serious, that, it's just yeah. so much mess. Yeah. Well, let's see how it plays out. I'm sure there'll be a lot more to emerge um, from the club over the coming uh, weeks. I just want to say, uh, for the record, absolute sympathy for players who are struggling for form in that squad because it's an ill-balanced squad, because it's really, really difficult as a professional to perform in a such turbulent environment. And some will say, oh, why are you having sympathy for these players who are overpaid and overpriced? It's, it's not that. It's actually about having sympathy for professionals who are trying to deliver to a high level in circumstances that are so um, unfavourable, just in terms of the tactics and the strategy at board level. Um, I have a lot of sympathy for those players. And for Potter as well, frankly, because he's someone that really elevated Brighton to an exciting place in the league, playing outstanding football. And I worry that he'll lose, you know, some will be like, yeah, okay, it's a tough environment, but inevitably his stock will have suffered a little bit. And it but might be a while. he goes next? Well, that's the thing. It'll be a while till he gets a job as big as that. Maybe quite big, but as big as that, that's a tough one. Do you think he'd want a job that big again? Do you think he'd go for, I think to be honest, I think in terms of the Premier League, Premier League and Potter big Spurs. job is Spurs makes like so much sense. I know we talked about Nagelsmann to Spurs, but I feel like actually, I think so. Bowley's going to go for Nagelsmann, isn't he? He's going to go for Nagelsmann, he's going to go for Luis Enrique. Yeah. Nagelsmann first, I would say. And then Spurs go for Potter. Mm. 
I wonder whether Spurs want another Chelsea manager, ex-Chelsea manager. I do like the idea of Potter at Spurs. I do. But then I think a break maybe. I think at some level you need to also just step back and be like, what do I really want? Mm. What do I really want? Because Spurs still have some of their own issues. Oh, loads, yeah. Yeah. So may- maybe, maybe a break for Potter, actually. I hope he got a decent payout um, from Chelsea. And then we'll see. And Nagelsmann, frankly, I think he just needs to bide his time, actually. What a weird season. Super weird. But this is what happens when so much money is involved. People demand unrealistic results, unrealistic speed. That's what happens. That's hey, what this is about. In the words of Pep Guardiola, we are tired, fuck you. <laughs> Pep running down the touchline. They sacked Chelsea sacked their manager this season twice. Twice. Should we bounce? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, everyone. We hope you're all safe and well and uh, hanging in there. Um, Chelsea fans, Leicester fans, Spurs fans, I suppose, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Roll on the summer, huh? Mm, absolutely. Don't forget to check Wright's house this week. Check Count and Press if you haven't already. Check theringer.com and the Stadio outros players on Spotify. And um, there's only one person we could play out on today, and that is the late, great... Richie Sakamoto. Yes, who absolutely. Sadly passed away on Sunday. Legend, legend. Just this one hurt, man. Really did. One of uh, the all time greats. In multiple genres. In multiple yeah. genres. Oh. Just a genius. Oh, I can't God. talk too much about it, it's gonna make me upset. But um, it's, a it's a lot. We're gonna play it on plastic bamboo. Anything you would like to add, Musok Gonga? Listen, nothing further. Rest in peace to the goat. Alright everyone. Much love, we'll be back on Thursday. See you then. Yeah.